Father, we thank you that you are a good father. And we thank you that you are our father. For we just pray to our father who art in heaven. We are your sons and we are your daughters. And we would just ask today, Lord Jesus, that we would hear from you and you would use this time that would change our lives in such a way that we would change agents for you. We thank you, Lord, that you love us. And we've tried our, with everything that we have today, to love you. So I pray and we pray together, Lord, that you are pleased. You have been glorified and you've been lifted up in our midst. So Lord, now, use this time to speak to us. Help us to be obedient to what you say. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You can be seated. Well, we're continuing our series, and it's called Renewed. And we at Christ Church have been renewing something. We're bringing back an old program called The Home Run Christian. How many of you remember The Home Run Christian? Can you raise your hands? A number of you. And if you know anything about that program, you know there are four classes. Once you completed those classes, we called you a home run Christian. <laughs> it's a great program because you'd go through the classes and then we'd have a dinner. We'd give you a certificate and the pastors autographed this baseball. We'd give you the baseball. It was fun. And it was great. And what it did for us, it helped us understand who we are in Christ and then how the ch- what the church is all about, how we can get involved in ministry, how we can find out how we can get involved to fulfill the mission that God has for us. Great program. So I'm pretty excited that we're bringing it back. But... We're dropping all the baseball analogies, okay? What we did back then is that basically it was, we put it together like a baseball diamond. To get to first base, you had to go to the maturity class. I'm sorry, the membership class. To get to second base, you had to go to the maturity class. Third base was the ministry and home plate, cross home plate, you had to complete the missions class. And once you rounded the bases, then you became a home run Christian. Problem is, all the people... We're rounding the bases, coming home, and they were going into the dugout. It was like, it was it. It was over. Okay, I did what I was supposed to do, and that was the end of it. And we thought, wow, we we can't do that again. We were just getting people prepared so that they could really enter into the game. So we're dropping the baseball stuff, but we're keeping the four classes. And they are, again, membership, maturity, ministry, and mission. Now, I want you to know that these classes are not information meetings, they're not get-togethers, they are discipleship classes. Remember, discipleship is a process, and the key to be discipled is you got to keep making progress in the process. We're in a relationship with Christ, so we need to continue to grow and be built up in our faith. So Christ's church is doing everything it can do in order for us to keep involved in the process. And one way they're doing it is they're putting these four classes together. So we're really encouraging you to be part of those classes because Jesus Christ had a strategy. And we believe the strategy is found in these classes. He he taught that we need to win people to Christ, build them up in the faith, and then train and equip people to do the ministry, and then train them to fulfill my mission. Win, build, equip, multiply, and then send. And that's what we're doing with the classes. We're having you come be part of the membership, help you to mature in your faith, 
train you in ministry, help you to understand how you're going to get involved in the mission, and then sending us out. So it's very, very important that if you're really, truly going to be a disciple, a true disciple who makes disciples, who makes disciples. See, we're not just to be discipled, we're to become disciple makers. In order for you to really fulfill the calling that God has in all of our lives, you've got to take these, you've got to at least begin the process of being involved in these classes. Now, the classes aren't going to do it all for us. We have a lot of other ways that we disciple you here at Christ Church, but these are four processes that we're really encouraging you to be part of, so much so that we put, the, put together four weeks to try to drive this into our minds and hearts. Okay, I'm talking about mission today. I'm talking about mission, but I want to stop for one moment before we start to look into the Word one more time and just pray. Could you pray with me again? Lord Jesus, I ask that you forgive me and cleanse me of my sin and that you would fill me and you would speak to the people and we would not be just stirred, but that you would change us and we would be not just hearers of your word, but we would be doers of it. For Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now Jesus was on a mission and he declared it in Luke chapter 19.10 and he said this, he said, For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Now that was the mission that the Father had given to him, and he carried out that assignment. He died on the cross, he was raised again from the dead, and he provided a way for every one of us who were lost to be found. Anybody who transfers their trust from themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus alone has the power and the authority to forgive you of your sin and to give to you eternal life. He did it. He completed his assignment. And then once he died, he was raised again from the dead, he walked up to the disciples and he said this in John chapter 20, 21. He said, as the Father has sent me, now I send you. Another way of saying that is, as the Father has given me a mission, now I give you the mission. And then he says, in our passage this morning, in Matthew at the end of the book, he tells us, the mission. Let me read for you one more time. It says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, notice it says surely. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, is God really with me? Because it's talking about surely. He's just with surely here. Okay, that was a bad joke. All right, I'll move on. No, he's not talking about just about Shirley. He's talking about all of us. That God is with all of us all the time, all right? And he's saying to us, listen, he's making it very clear what the mission is. And when you really look at the mission, you begin to find out. Now, you've got to hear this. These are the last words here of Jesus to his followers. So he's being in business. When it's your last words, you have some expectation, right? He has expectation that his disciples are going to carry out this mission. Not only them, but all of us who are followers of Christ. He has expectation. He's counting on us to get the mission done. I remember hearing a story. It's, a, it's a, not a true story. But it illustrates a true point. A truth. It's called Gabriel and Jesus. And Jesus had died and been raised again from the dead, provided you know, salvation, and he completed his mission, and he ended up, ended up back in heaven. So Jesus is ascended onto the right hand of the Father. He's in heaven, and Gabriel walks up to him and says, 
Jesus, uh, the angels and I are been wondering about something. We've been wondering, how are you going to, or how is the plan of salvation going to be completed on the earth now that you're up here in heaven? You've got a plan, don't you? And Jesus looked at Gabriel and said, yeah. And the plan is that I'm depending on my disciples to carry out that plan. <laughs> and Gabriel couldn't believe what he heard. And he looked at Jesus and he said, Jesus, you've got to be kidding, right? You know those guys aren't educated. And they're not brave. They've proven that. These are not brave men. So wonder if they fail. Wonder if they don't complete the, the mission. They don't tell anybody about what's going on. You've got a plan B, don't you? You have to have a plan B. And Jesus looked at him and said, no. There's no other plan. It's them. They're all I got. I'm counting on them. I'm counting on them. It's a great reminder, that story, the right reminder that God is counting on you and me. Just as he was counting on those disciples, he's counting on us. And we're going to find today in the passage that it's not a suggestion, it's not an option, it's an absolute commandment. In other words, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we have the privilege and the responsibility to carry out this mission. Every one of us who is a follower of Christ, you, you and I have the responsibility to carry it out. So the question is, what is the mission? I mean, we, we need to know what in the world we're supposed to do so we don't, we don't miss our assignment. We don't want to screw this up. So what is it? Well, let me, let me say it one more time. Let me show you in the scriptures because this is, there's one commandment found here. I'm going to read it and hopefully you can see it. You'll be looking for it up on the screen. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do you see the one? In other words, when you look at this scripture, the way it's constructed, and then you look at it in the Greek. See, you can't see it in the Greek. You see it in the English. But it's found right there in the construction of how, how it's said in the Bible. And there's one command, only one, found in this passage. The one commandment is simple. It's two words. Do you see it? It's this. One commandment, make disciples. That's it. Make disciples. That's the one commandment. And then Jesus gives three action words. In other words, three steps that if you take these steps, you will make disciples. And he uses three words. And those words are go baptizing, and teaching. So the commandment is make disciples and then go baptizing and teaching. I gave you another diagram behind me and you can see it right there. And as we do this, we become what Jesus wants us to be. We become a devoted disciple of his and we will make disciples if we go baptizing and teaching. So, so that we don't miss this assignment, let's get back to those three words. We know what the commandment is. We all got to make disciples. How do you do that? Jesus tells us right here. The first action word is to go. The Greek word is best translated, having gone or as you are going. As you are going. Make disciples. In other words, as you are living your life, no matter where you go or who you're with, 
You're all about making disciples. That is your purpose. That's your mission. So no matter where you go, whether you go to the office, you go to work, you go to the gym, you go to school, you go to the store, no matter what you're doing, in your world, you are trying to make disciples with the people that are around you. So as you are going, you do it the way that Jesus did it. Jesus, as he was living his life, he was making disciples, no matter where he went. He was trying to help people to know who he was so that they could be one brought out of darkness into the light all the time. So we are to be, as he said, we are to go and seek and save that which is lost. And Jesus was a friend of sinners. He hung out with people who didn't know him so that he might win them and bring them out of the darkness into the light. So the question is, how does this really happen, Pastor Ed? How does this work? How do you do that? Well, Jesus being our example, he's our model. Let's look in the scripture and we'll find there's many, many models. But there's one passage in scripture that really explains it to us. It's found in John chapter 1, verse 14. And it says this, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Now what's all that mean? Let's break it down. I'm going to break it in different phrases. The first phrase is this. The word became flesh. Remember that Jesus is the God-man. Totally God and totally man. That's the incarnation, right? Totally God, totally man. One of the purposes for him to do that is because nobody had ever seen God. Nobody knew who God was like. Nobody had ever seen him. They had the word of God, but they'd never seen God. Jesus said this. He said, as you've seen me, you've seen the Father For I and the Father are one. In other words, he began to flesh out the truth, the word of God, so that people could see what God was like through his life. So Jesus became the visual and verbal expression of the invisible God. It was show and tell, everybody. He was coming up and he was showing them what God was like and he was telling them how they could have a relationship with him. Showing and then telling them how they could have a relationship with God. And that's what he did. He didn't come talking about love. He showed us how to love. He didn't come talking about how to serve. He showed us how to serve. He didn't just come talking to us about how to forgive. He showed us how to forgive. He was always show and tell. Watch me and learn. And do what I do. Walk your talk, talk your walk. And Jesus is saying to us, as you're going in your life, walk like me. Talk like me. Now we'll say, Pastor, I'm never perfect. I'm not like Jesus. Absolutely. When Tammy and I moved down to the north side of Pittsburgh, onto a street where four out of five homes were boarded up back in the 80s, they didn't want us there. Nobody cared about us being there. They gave us a hard time. And we screwed up and we made mistakes and we just asked people to forgive us. But we continue to walk and live before those people, trying to communicate and demonstrate the love of God. And today there's no more homes boarded up in my neighborhood. And there's hundreds, if not thousands, of people who have come to Christ over those years. Not not because, only because I was just willing to be, Tammy and I were willing to be obedient. Not that we were perfect. I'm as screwed up as you are. And you are as screwed up as I am. The difference is, is hopefully for you and for me, We know Jesus Christ and God dwells within us and he's the one that empowers you and helps you to live this life. Amen? That's the only way it gets done. But as we're walking out there in life trying to be the show and tell to people, 
He tells us something else. He says this. He says, dwelt among us. Dwelt among us. That word dwelt literally means pitching a tent. It's referring back to the Old Testament. When the disciples, I'm sorry, when the Israelites were going about and they would find a place to live, they would pitch the tent. It was called the tabernacle. That's where they would worship God. And by day, a cloud would visit that tabernacle and they would know that God's presence was with them. By night, they were led or guided by a pillar of fire. The fire would come to where the tabernacle was. And every time the fire was there or the cloud was there, they knew that God was with them. What the Bible is saying about Jesus is he's saying, Jesus is God with us. Emmanuel. He is there. And he wasn't trying to come reach us from the distance. He didn't, listen, he didn't come from heaven one day a week and try to reach us and then shoot back up to heaven for the next six days. He didn't play church, everybody. He came full-time, walked among the people, and loved those people up close and personal. See, he came to be one of us, right in our midst. And what Jesus is saying, you live and I live in you. That means no matter where you go, I'm with you. You take me into that situation. When you take me in that situation, I'm asking you to trust me and walk with me so that I can show and tell who God is and so that you can tell them how they can know me. That's as simple as it is. And then he sums it up with this. He says this, full of grace and truth. Can you say those words with me? Full of grace and truth. In other words, he summed it all up. He said, I came to communicate and demonstrate the love of God. What we do as Christians sometimes, I've done it, and I'm sure you've done it, is this. Somehow we compartmentalize that, and we become people who just demonstrate the love of God. We go out and we do kind, you know, acts of kindness. We help people in need. We meet needs. But as we're meeting needs, we're doing some good things, but the people... We're doing good things to, they don't know why we're doing the good things. So if we don't, if they don't know why we're good, then we're ultimately good for nothing. Hear me. You can meet a need and it's a temporary need and that's good and God tells us to do that. But if you leave them in their sin and you never help them to understand that the reason you're doing this is because you love them and you care for them and Jesus has changed your life and you want them to know what you know. Because I can meet this need. I can come help you today, and I will help you tomorrow. I promise. But the reason I do this is because, you see, I was screwed. I was lost. And Jesus found me, and he changed my life. And he can change your life so that you know forever and ever that you know God, and you're going to be with God. That you don't have to be afraid of death. You don't have to be afraid of Satan. You don't have to be afraid of sin any longer, because Jesus Christ can set you free. But then there's people that go over here and they just talk about what I just said. Jesus can set you free and they preach and they preach and they talk about Jesus and they tell you that you need to come to know Christ. But they speak the truth without love. And Remember the old saying? When love is seen, the message is heard. People really don't care how much you know until they know you care. So there's people out there who preach and preach and tell people how they need to get saved but they're not compelling people to come to Jesus. They're repelling people from knowing Jesus because they're just speaking truth without love. 
Jesus is saying to us, you don't do either or. You do them both all the time. Why? If you're building relationships with people, then it's not a program, it's you. And if you're building relationships, then you need to reach out to those people and you love them. And when they ask you for the reason of your hope and why you love them, you tell them. Because Jesus Christ changed my life. And I want you to know the great truth that I know. Amen? Do you see this? This is what Jesus did. This, see, I would love to take you on and come all down to Urban Impact and hang out with us in our community. And I'd show you how this works. A number of you do, by the way. And you come down and you show how this works because you've got to live it out every day in that community. Every day you've got to be out in those streets. Every day you've got to be at the grocery store. Every day we're at the school. And what are we there for? For the purpose of winning those who don't know him. Show and tell. Communicate and demonstrate. Now, with that being said and understanding, hopefully you know, you know this now. You know that you might be a sports star. Of some sort. I don't know. Golfer. Tennis player. I don't know who you are. But you make your living playing that particular sport. Or you're a business person. Or you're a teacher. Or you're a lawyer. Or you're a doctor. Whatever you do for a living, that's what you do for a living. But what you've learned today is that we are to go. And as we're going, we're to make disciples. So we're all missionaries who happen to be a teacher... We're a missionary who happens to be a lawyer. We're a missionary who happens to be a plumber. But we're all on the same mission together. It's not just the pastors. It's all of us. We have a role to play that we need to make what? Now say it like you mean it today. You, 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 we're all here to make what? Disciples. One commandment. And the first action step is to go. Now let's get to the second word. Baptizing. You all right with me? You good? You Okay. All right, let's do it. Baptizing. Two things about baptism. One is that when you get baptized, what you're saying is you're identifying yourself with Christ. Hear those words. You're identifying yourself with Christ. You're saying, I am a follower of Jesus Christ publicly. Publicly. Declaring it. Watch what happens. Remember Peter and all the boys... Jesus says, okay, go up in the upper room. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and other parts of the world. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be empowered to be those witnesses. And they went up in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit came upon these guys, and they walked out of that place. And who went out into the city of Jerusalem and preached? Peter. And when he preached, this is what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. It says, those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. In other words, as soon as they received Christ and were saved, the next thing that the disciples did, by the way, this is the beginning of the church right there. As soon as the church began, they baptized those believers and then they put them into the family of God, right back into church. They got saved, identified with Christ in the church. Now the question is, have you been baptized? Hopefully you have. I'll talk more about that in a minute. But you see, they placed a very strong importance on identifying with Christ and putting them in a church. You know why? Because we're all called to believe. And the moment we believe, we're all called to belong. You see, you are created by God, 
But the moment you receive Christ as your Savior, you become a child of the living God. And when you become a child of the living God, you join the family. See, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. We're part of the family. Now, sometimes we don't act that way, but that's the truth. We're part of the family. And the moment that someone gets saved, if you brought them to the Lord, the first thing you got to do is say, you know what you got to do? You got to get it. You got to identify yourself with Christ, and you need to start becoming part of the body of Jesus. Look what it says over in Acts chapter 12. It says, But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. In other words, you notice each time they're saved, and then they identify with Christ. They're baptized, added to the church. So baptism doesn't save you. It's your way of identifying as a follower of Christ. Let me ask you this. Are you afraid to identify yourself with Christ? Don't answer that except to yourself. Seriously, when you're hanging out with certain people, do you, is there like you're almost like ashamed? You're intimidated? You don't want anybody, you're like undercover. You don't want anybody to know that you're a believer. You remember Peter, right? He was following after Jesus. He, Jesus is being arrested and he's standing in a fire when three people begin to ask him, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? He said no. And he denied him how many times? Three times. And then we know later on, after Jesus died and was raised again from the dead, Jesus comes back to Peter and all the rest of the boys, and he says this. He said, Peter, do you love me? How many times? Three times. And he reinstated Peter back as the leader of the church. He wanted everybody to know, I believe in him, I forgave him, he's my leader. And then what happens? The Holy Spirit comes upon the boys in the upper room, and they walk out, and who preaches the good news to the people of Jerusalem? Peter, this is what I'm saying to you. Those of you that are afraid or struggling with identifying with Christ among your peers, so did Peter. But when Peter surrendered himself to Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit of God, he became so bold that he led the church, stood up in front of thousands of people, didn't care. What I'm trying to say to you this morning is that those of you who are afraid or concerned... Because Christ dwells in you. He lives in you. You can be empowered by the Spirit of God if you're willing to be honest and tell Him, saying, I need your help. I'm afraid. I am ashamed. And I don't want to be ashamed because I know what you say in the Word. Those who are ashamed of me, I shall be ashamed of you. And I don't want you to be ashamed. You died for me. You were raised again from the dead. And I want to live. I want to make disciples. I want to do this. So God, help me, empower me, because I can't do it alone. And I feel like I am. And you're not alone, because he said, I will never leave you, nor what? Forsake you. He's there, you just got to call upon him. And if you're willing to do that, God will empower you. He'll give you the boldness. But if you're not willing to be honest, then, don't, then you, you can't do it. People will say, Pastor Ed, you know, have you ever been afraid? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I know if I'm afraid where to go, I go to him. He can give you the... Courage, isn't not, courage is not the absence of fear, everybody. It's just the willingness to saddle up and do it anyway. And it's amazing. When you saddle up and you do it anyway, all of a sudden you find boldness and courage and the fear doesn't dominate you any longer. As long as you sit there and allow that fear 
to dominate you, it becomes your God. Becomes your God. Don't serve that idol. Kill it and walk with him. He'll give you what you need when you need it. The other thing that we find here in baptism is not only that we are to identify with Christ publicly, but it also means that you are, you, are ex, you are giving an expression, an outward expression of an inward experience. Can you say those words with me? An outward expression for an inward experience. Listen to these words from Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. Do you not know, Paul asked the Roman believers, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, and in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. What you're doing publicly when you get baptized is you're saying to whoever's there that day, you're saying, listen, Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, and the old Ed Glover died with him. And my sins died with him. And he paid for my sin in full. And then he went to the grave and so did I. I died with him. And I was buried. And the waters of baptism are just a demonstration of what he's done on that cross. My sins are forgiven. And I come out of that water now. And now I've come alive. Death has no more control over me any longer. I do not fear it because I've overcome it through Christ. I'm forgiven and I am now a new person in Christ. The old passes away. Behold, all things become new. I've been given a brand new second chance, third chance, fourth chance. I am a new creation. I am a new person who is now a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's given me a fresh new start. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been baptized? Have you ever followed in obedience to Jesus what I just said? If you haven't, then do it. Because there's something about doing... Now, baptism doesn't save you, but it's your way of identifying with Jesus Christ in obedience to him and letting those around you know where you stand. Hear me. And those days, back in those days when the church began, they did that publicly and they were crucified. They were persecuted. When I was in Africa for six weeks, we were around and running around, and we were winning all kinds of people. God was winning all kinds of people to Christ through us. And then we, over 1,000 people we baptized in the rivers, in the, in the ponds, and whatever we could find in those cities. And the people would come out, and they'd watch these baptisms. And a lot of those men and women and children were Muslims. And they'd come to Christ And that day, they were excommunicated from their families, excommunicated from their work. But they were true disciples of Jesus Christ. So were these boys back in the New Testament that we're reading about. There's something about being baptized, being identified that God does for us. Last thing is the teaching. So we find these people, we're out and about, we're living our lives, we bring somebody to Christ, we tell them, now let's go get baptized, let's join the family, and now we're going to join the family, now we're going to teach you. Teaching, it says this, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, teaching them to obey everything, there's two things about this teaching, there's teaching and training, can you say those two words? Teaching and training. 
In other words, you take this brand new believer and you follow them up. And you teach them the word of God so that they might grow and mature in their faith. That they become mature in Christ. That's one aspect. The other aspect of that is at the same time you're teaching these young believers to become mature in their faith, building them up, you're also training them to do the ministry of Jesus Christ and to fulfill the mission of Christ. Listen, when you came to know Christ, you were given a gift in the Spirit. Every one of you in this room has a gift. And that gift, the moment you came to Christ, God gave you that gift. Oh, you have talents, and you have time, and you have treasures that God gives you as well. But the moment you came to Christ, He gave you a gift. And if I could call it a team instead of the body of Christ, we're all in the same team. And the key the deal is, as, as a believer, you've been given a role and a responsibility. And you have a position to play on the team. He's given you a gift, and we're counting on you to, to, to use the gift. But guess what? Satan has a scouting report on every one of us in this room, and he knows who doesn't show up and who does. And when you don't show up or I don't show up, guess where he hits the ball? You see, when we become a Christian, we start, we join the body of Christ, and we're on a team, and God has given it, and we need to minister to one another. That's why the Bible says what? It says love one another, pray for one another, serve one another, because we're part of the body, and we need to have a ministry in the church. If you just come to church and you're not using your gift, then we got a hole on the team. That's why we're having the ministry class, to help you understand where you're to play your position. Next thing is you, we have a mission to complete. And we need to know how we're going to go into that darkness to bring people to Christ. And the key is, is that, I'm going to ask you this question. If I was to ask you to stand up and give a testimony of what God has done for you, I called you right out and said, ma'am, stand up, sir, stand up. Could you give a testimony that we could understand about what Christ has done in your life? The mission class that I'm going to run, I am going to train you how to give that testimony. So that when you live your life in such a way that you can tell people about what God has done for you. We're also going to help you understand not only what you believe, but why you believe it. Some of you are being asked questions out there and you don't know what to say. Because nobody's trained you. So we're, going to hear, we're here to train you so that you know what you believe and why you believe it so that you can give a testimony of the things that God has done for you. Do you see the importance of these classes? And that's what we need to do with the new believers and people that are in the church. We need to teach and we need to train. If we're not teaching and training, then we're not making disciples. And therefore, there's no one going to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. You see, we're not just to be a disciple. We're to be a disciple maker. Say that. We are to be a disciple maker. And that's what God has called us to do. Now, this is what I've learned. In 30 years of being in ministry, I've learned something, and that's this. That even though we know that we need to make disciples, we end up losing the first action step. The first action step was what? To go. As we are going, somehow, some way, after we come to Christ, and we get settled in, and we're growing, and we're maturing, and we're, we're together, we're a family, somehow we, always, we just start talking about, no, we're going to come. We're not going. We're going to come to the Bible study. We're going to come to the church. We're going to come to the program. And we're always talking about go, coming to the church. Now listen, you've got to come to the church so that you can be mature in your faith, so that you can be trained and equipped in the ministry and the mission. But if you just come to the church to come to the church, we just became a club. Right? Right? 
What are we doing? We're just hanging out with each other all the time. And we're learning stuff and we're tying stuff in, but we're not doing them. All of a sudden, it isn't working anymore. Because we, we kind of stopped it. from we, we sealed off the Spirit of God. And we're just all talking about, come, 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 rather than going out of the... In other words, why do you have a Bible study? The Bible study is there to help you to grow for what? So that you can go back out in the world and win somebody to Christ. So that you can go show and tell. When you come to church, we're coming to church to worship Him because we've been out all week with the unsaved trying to win them, Right? Listen to me, when you really start to identify with Christ, really get about his business, it's not easy. I'm with unbelievers all the time. It's not easy. So when you come to church, all of a sudden you come to church for a whole other reason. You come to, come to be with him because you need strength, encouragement. You, you get to one, one another. You lock arms with somebody because you really need prayer because you don't know how to answer that question. These people are pressuring you because you've stood up for Jesus Christ and things are happening and you lock arms and you come into church totally different. You come in praying. You come in loving. You come in looking for the brothers and sisters to strengthen you because you're on a mission. And church takes on a whole nother deal because Jesus Christ takes on a whole nother deal in your life. And it becomes spectacular. It becomes alive. Do you see this? If you feel like you're stagnant, you're just sitting there, and you don't have this, you're like on a treadmill, man. You're running around, but you don't know where you're going. Just do what I'm saying, and it'll come alive. Because my friend, look at me. Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead. He lives and he lives in you. And he wants to reach a world that is so lost, but he's looking for you and I. He's counting on us to have the courage to walk with him. Now, we've learned about teaching and we learned about what it means, but you know what I've also found? I found in the church. That when we don't do it his way, when we're coming rather than going, Jesus called us to be what? Fishers of what? Fishers of men. Tell your story. I call it cabin fever. True story. Ten guys got one away all the time on weekends to fish. Probably once every three months. And this one time they went up into the cabin. And this is what happened. It rained thunderstorms every day. And they never went out fishing. When they first got there on Friday night, man, they're playing cards and they're having a great time and reminiscing. They're fine. Saturday morning, they started irritating one another. By Saturday night, they were fighting. Sunday, mo- Sunday morning, they got up and they just went home. They're supposed to go home on Sunday night, but they went home early. All the, all the wives are standing there going, how come you came home so early? Well, we were supposed to fish, they said, but all we did was fight. You know what I found? I found when you're not doing God's business his way, you start getting involved in everybody else's business. I'm not saying that here at Christ Church people are fighting, but there are people who have left this church. But if we will get about going back and doing what God told us to do, we get about going back and identifying, get about his mission again, I'm, I am saying this to you. This place, you, we won't have enough chairs. Down at Urban Impact Foundation, we can't even get enough. We have waiting lists for people trying to get in. 
God, now that's something that you do, by the way. You understand that. We are on a mission together down in the city of Pittsburgh. And that's what you are doing down in the city through Urban Impact. You understand that, right? We're making it happen. And you're making it happen up here. And that's the partnership that we have together. But I'll say this to you. When we begin to do what we're supposed to do in your neighborhoods, in my neighborhood, we start really making it happen, we won't have places. This place will be packed. And your friends, your families, those people that you're afraid of will be sitting right next to you. I had a gangbanger come up to me a long time ago. My brother, you come with me. He came up to me, stuck a gun in my head, and said, Pastor Glover, shut up or put up. Man, you're afraid. But he knew that I knew Jesus. Now that boy, that young boy, later on in his life, died. But when he dies and he stands before God, I know that I did everything I could to bring that young man to Christ. I have no shame and no regrets. Thank you. It can be done, my friend. And I can name others that did the same thing, but they are standing with me in the ministry today, walking with me, talking, and living out Jesus Christ. Today, my friends, you and me, God loves you, and he wants us to get it done. Let's lock arms, huh? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I ask you in Jesus' name that you, that you would be all that we need. We would identify with you. We would be that. We will be the story that they see. We will be show and tell all the time. And that when people come to know you, we'll do everything we can to teach them the word of God and train them up so that they can be disciple makers like ourselves. Help us not to get into the mentality of coming all the time, but let us go and and give us the boldness and the courage to do it. And we as your church, Christ Church, that we will make a difference on the top of this hill, that we will be a beacon that the entire city will come and look for, as well as we going out to them to find them. For Lord, we ask these things together in Jesus' name. Amen.